You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, I've actually got you guys pulled up on the screen in front of me. And so uh, I, I, if you see me looking up in this message, it's not because I'm contemplating. It's because I'm actually looking up at this, the TV above me uh, where I can see all of you guys who at least let me see you. Uh, some of you do not want us to see you, and that is completely fine. Um, hey, the Weavers, thanks for joining us and let me see you guys. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I, I see the Fullers are outside, which is kind of awesome. That's a good way to do it. You guys must have good, good internet reception. Uh, I just want to remind you guys, um, I actually can see you. And so uh, last week, I found myself while Chris was preaching, like starting making comments to my kids and stuff like that and realizing like, oh, yeah, I should be paying attention right now. Uh, not only because it's good to pay attention, but because of the person that's that's speaking can actually see you. Uh, and the reason I want to see you guys is because I don't want to preach to a camera. You know, I want to preach to my, my church family. And so it helps me to be able to do that in this format, to be able to see you guys. And so thank you for those of us who will, who will let me see you uh, and get to see your awesome faces. Um, if uh, Steve, I just talked about this. Quit talking to your kids. I can see you talking to your kids. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but any, any affirmation I, you guys can, can get at the moment uh, while I'm preaching is awesome. So a lot of nodding of heads, you know, thumbs up. Uh, Paul Kurth, I don't know where your amen piece of paper went, but that was really helpful that first year, that first Sunday you had it. Maybe one day we'll get it. Anyway, glad to see you guys. No, that's not helpful, Will. Uh, thank, thank you guys for joining us. Good to see you guys. So uh, we're going to be continuing our study uh, through the Minor Prophets. We're in the book of, uh, of Nahum. Um, so this past week, uh, we were sitting there in the living room, and, uh, and Natalie, I think she was reading in the book of Psalms, she said, uh, Dad, what does the word vindicate mean? And I was like, uh, I had to think about it for a second. I think the, the response that I threw out was um, when someone does what they said they would do. That was my description of, of the word vindicate, someone doing what they said they would do. I actually looked up the word because I realized that was a horrible definition that I gave her. <laughs> Uh, and I want to put up here on the screen for you guys uh, the definition of vindicate. Vindicate, it's, it's, it's to prove or show that something is a right, reasonable, or justified. Okay, so vindicate, to prove, to demonstrate, to show something is right, reasonable, or justified. And I found that word vindicate uh, to really be a good description of my feelings right now during this season, because things are not right. They are not reasonable. Uh, and my sense of justice is, uh, is, is crying out that there needs to be an end to this pandemic. Yet it continues week after week. Uh, on Monday, uh, tomorrow, uh, those of us who are in Oregon will find out exactly uh, what our governor's plan is, uh, and hopefully they're going to start opening up businesses uh, over the next month or two. And I'm really looking forward to the place that churches are going to fall in that, uh, because this form of church, uh, it's not quite cutting it for me. It's, it's good enough, but I miss the gathering together 
of the people that I love and that I care about. And so there's a sense of me that this just always feels like something's wrong. It's that sense of something need to be vindicated. And so I don't know about you guys, but, uh, but we're kind of taking in a week at a time in the Duncan household. Um, I feel like uh, my life is, is kind of, you know, like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. You know, my, my days just start repeating and looking really similar to one another. And it's almost like, okay, let's just take this a day at a time. Okay, we messed another day at a time. And now it's been 60 days, you know. And so it's starting to wear uh, a, little, a little thin. Uh, I also find myself exhausted at the end of the day which is really interesting because I haven't left my house. Uh, and I think it's because there's this, uh, there's this angst, you know, there's this, uh, this maybe not, I wouldn't call it worry as much as uncertainty. And it's just hard living in uncertainty on a day-to-day basis. But the good news is that this is one of many times that the people of God had found themselves in uncertain times. This isn't new for us. And I believe that during this season, uh, God is going and is continuing to teach us some important truths about who he is and what he's doing. Even us being in this series through the minor prophets, I think is very providential um, because God has spoke some powerful truths to us to this time. Uh, So if you're new with us, uh, what we've been doing is teaching through a book, a series of books toward the end of the New Testament called the Minor Prophets prophets, so the small books, and they record God uh, raising up prophets to bring a word to his people uh, before they go into exile, during exile, or after exile. Um, And these prophets, for the most part, their main message was calling the people of God back to repentance because of covenantal disobedience. But sometimes these prophets brought a word of vindication toward the enemies of God like we're going to look at in the book of Nahum today. So if you have your Bible, open up to Nahum. Uh, Nahum uh, is called to prophesy to Judah to let God's people know that he will vindicate them. But instead of a few months of affliction like what we have faced, Nahum's audience had been facing affliction for 400 years. They were God's chosen people. They were in the promised land yet they were always under the oppression of other nations. Among those nations, none had dominated world affairs more in the second millennium than Assyria. The nation was arrogant. It was self-sufficient. It was cruel. It was assertive. And the Syrians had dominated every small nation in the region, in the Middle East, from one time or another. Uh, I'm just going to put up on the screen here a list of some of the uh, Assyrian rulers over that 400-year period. And then it shows each time the, the people of Israel were basically cowed. You know, each time they, were, they had to offer servitude, they had to offer money, they had to pay tribute. And this would happen over and over and over again. Now, every once in a while, in Judah or in Israel, uh, a, a king would rise up and he would try to start overthrowing the Assyrian Empire. But they never, it never lasted very long, and they were never very successful at it. And so you just saw this pattern of oppression over and over again over a 400-year period. Now, this 400-year period of oppression, it led God's people to start asking questions like, 
why isn't our God defending us? I mean, he, he rescues us out of Egypt. He, he brings us into the promised land and then he leaves us under oppression this entire time. Why would God not bring salvation for those who were faithful to him? Now, I don't know how you've been feeling during this season of affliction for us, but I wonder if that question has crept into your mind at any point. Uh, why, why hasn't God ended this? Uh, what is his purpose inside of this? Why doesn't God just come along and do this miraculous word and wipe out this pandemic? Well, today, I hopefully you'll find some answers to those questions. So when you read the book of Nahum, it's meant to be read as a sequel to Jonah, which I preached about a few weeks ago. See, God has sent another prophet named Jonah to a city called Nineveh to call the Assyrians to repentance. And the amazing thing is, they had repented because at that time, they were actually losing the battle. But as soon as their circumstances changed, they turned back to their old gods once again. Now, back in Jerusalem, the temple of Zion, on Zion that God had created, a place of worship, it has survived over the years, but its day was coming to an end. The worship of Yahweh in the, in the mid-7th century had already disappeared in the, in the northern kingdom, and now it's starting to threaten in the southern kingdom. And there stood Nineveh with its gods as the capital of the most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen. There was no doubt during this time period in the life of God's people, but also in history, that, As that the Assyrians ruled, that their God ruled. So God has a word from Nahum to his people during this situation. So let's look at it in Nahum chapter 1. Verses 1 through 7. Verse 1, it says, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him and the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. God sends Nahum to remind his people that he is a vindicating God. I love some of the, the, some of the descriptions of the Lord that, that Nahum uses. He says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God, <clears throat> slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Uh, Nahum borrows from Exodus to give us this, this imagery of who God is. See, you look back at Exodus 19 and 20, when God manifests himself to the people of Israel, there's this amazing theophany. Uh, we just sang some songs about it a minute ago, about who God is and, and what he's done. 
Here at Red Sea, we actually have a doctrinal statement that many of you are familiar with, but some of you may not. So I want to share it with you. This is actually our statement of who we believe is the reality of God. And we're going to put it up here on the screen. It says, we believe that there is one true and living God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons of this Trinity are co-eternal in being, co-eternal in nature, co-equal in power and glory, having the same attributes and perfections. We believe that God is both the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, so the spiritual and the physical universe. All of creation was made to give glory to God. We believe that God is the sovereign ruler of all things, spiritual and physical, and so ordains and governs all things, including the existence of galaxies, the forces of nature, the establishment of human rulers, the events of nations, and the secret acts of solitary persons. God sovereignly rules over, rules all things according to his own eternal wisdom and for the ultimate purpose to glorify himself. That's a good reminder for us this morning in the midst of what all of us are facing. And one of the reasons that God has his people gather weekly is because they and us today, we're just prone to forget the sovereignty of God. So we have to be reminded of a simple but powerful truth. There is nothing that happens in our reality that is outside of the will of God. You are actually unable to be outside of the will of God. That's a powerful truth that some of us just need to speak to our own hearts. No matter how difficult your circumstances, they've all been filtered through the hands of a loving and just father. Now, the rub is sometimes God just doesn't show up in the way that we expect him to. But the truth is that God always shows up. Always. When the forces of God, when the forces opposing God are so strong in the light of God's people is at the point of flickering out. It's just easy for us to forget. And so Nahum comes and he reminds us as do the ancient ruins of Nineveh, that God himself is the ultimate ruler. Nahum could look forward to this day. It was then and continues today to be the hope of God's people. Our eyes shall see the salvation of the Lord in God's timing. Nahum is going to go ahead and talk about this inevitability of God in a detailed description of what God's going to do to Nineveh in verses 8 through 14. Let's look at them together. But with, with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully. For you, for you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. He's talking about the leader of the Syrians. Thus says the Lord, though they are full, at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. For the house of your gods I will cut off. The carved images and the metal images I will make, make your grave, for you are vile. He's talking about uh, Nineveh there toward the end, the exact work that he's going to do. I'm going to put up a picture here on the screen. Uh, this is what's left of Nineveh. 
uh, is basically that wall, the ruins of Nineveh. You can go and, and visit them today. And the reason that there's no city that sits on that site is because the day of the Lord came against Nineveh in 612 BC. See, God used the Medes and the Babylonians to combine their forces and they besieged Nineveh. At the time, this was the greatest city in the world. And after that fall of Nineveh, this would lead to the destruction of the entire Assyrian empire over the next three years as the dominant state in the Near East. See, Nineveh's day came to an end because no power on earth can endure when it sets itself against the Lord and his people. The vivid imagery of Nahum's pictured demise of Nineveh is an eloquent testimony to the power of God. Now, in your life, you have some type of stronghold. You have something that you just don't know why it's continuing and you, and you want God to come in and rescue you, but he just hasn't yet. It's something that you would like to see come to a complete end. In these moments, we do exactly what Nahum did. We remind ourselves that our God always wins. History testifies to the fact that our God always wins. And whatever the trial is, whatever the affliction is in your life now, as God's people, you're special. And that means that the sovereign hand of God is on your life and your trial will end. Your affliction will end. I don't know when it will end, but I know it will end. And this is one of those seasons that we have to lean into that truth. Well, how do we know that? How do we know God's going to show up? How do we know that God is going to do what he says he's going to do? Because we've seen it over and over and over again. Most clearly, we see it in the cross of Jesus Christ, which Nahum is actually going to prophesy looking toward in the future. Look at it in Nahum 1.15. Nahum ends this first chapter. He says, behold, a up upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Well, what Nahum's going to do here, he's actually going to borrow some language from his predecessor, the prophet Isaiah. And I think we should look at his words because they're a little more detailed. Look at it in um, Isaiah 52, 7 through 8. Real similar language. <coughs> How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your washmen, they lift up their voices and together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. See, Nahum and Isaiah and all the prophets they stand as messengers declaring the return of the king, the day of the Lord, when peace will forever be upon the people, the day when God's going to, he's going to right all the wrongs. Okay, think back now to that definition of vindication, proof that someone or something is right, reasonable, or justified. See, the, the good news that Nahum and Isaiah point toward here is that in the future, the wrongs will be made right. The Prince of Peace is coming. And we know that he was talking about Jesus. He was the, the one that brought peace. He's the one that demonstrated the love of God. He's the one that whose burden was easy and, and his yoke 
was light. Uh, Paul in the book of Colossians, when he's when he's thinking about this amazing reality that God came and that God brought peace, uh, look at the language that he uses here to talk about what Jesus did in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. We're going to put it up here on the screen. So he's talking about Jesus here. He is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross." Then he's going to go on to talk about who we are as the special people of God. He says, and you who were, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Once again, Paul just lands on this simple but powerful truth. Jesus reconciled all things to himself, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We've been vindicated. We've received peace. But the good news keeps getting better because the peace that you and I received in Christ is not just some past event. It's not just some one-time gift that you received back when you prayed some type of prayer to receive Christ as your Savior. It's something that you and I receive every single day. Because as Paul says in that verse, we are special. Just like the nation of Israel is special. We're sinful, but we're special. And our specialness, it's not a result of anything that we've done. It's all God's doing. We are what we are by the grace of God. All we did was respond in faith to God's invitation to be his child. But then as a child of God, in union with him, because you are in Christ, you have every right to enjoy your special relationship with your heavenly father. That truth of who I am in Christ and my identity as a child of God needs to be a shaping factor in every single day when I wake up, every single day when I face challenges and afflictions and trials, I'm a child of God. And so maybe God is using my circumstances to teach me something as his child. That's what Hebrews says, that your heavenly father does rebuke you just as a parent rebukes a child because God is teaching us things during this season. The best thing that I can do for us this morning is just remind us not only of who God is, but I want to remind you guys of who you are in Christ. So in a minute, we're going to receive communion. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I, I, I've been reading this book by Neil Anderson. It's called Victory Over the Darkness. And in it, he just records all of these truths that the Bible says who we are in Christ. So they're just our, our I am statements in Christ. And so I know some of you guys um, don't have uh, a computer screen. 
And so you're not going to be able to uh, possibly see these. Uh, I didn't want to read them all to you guys because they're, they're a long list of, of who we are in Christ, but they can be broken down into three categories. And they are, I am accepted, I am secure, and I am significant. Now, these aren't meant to be self-help phrases. I know that's what it sounds like. Every time I hear those, I think of Stuart Smiley and, and Saturday Night Live, you know, and God darn it, you know, I love myself. You know, that's not what this is meant to be. These are truths in the word of God, who you are. And just like the nation of Israel, we have we have sinned and, and sure, God has used all types of circumstances to teach us things about his grace and about what he's doing. But God also, despite our sin, has still welcomed us into his family and made us the people of God. And so as the people of God, you've inherited these blessings, and I pray they would define who you are. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then the, the description of who we are in Christ is just going to roll on the screen and you guys will be able to see him. And I pray you would let them sink deep into your soul and that they would help you understand your circumstances and help you face the things that you're facing today. So I pray you believe these and you would receive them. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, right now, my simple request to you is that you would allow us to see ourselves the way that you see us as children of the most high God. And would that just define and redefine the way that we live every single day, that tomorrow when we wake up, no matter what our governor says, no matter how long it's going to take before we can gather together as a church community, I want us to remember that our God reigns. And that glory and that, that, and that power has been extended to us as his people. Would you simply allow us to see ourselves the way that you are? We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, Billy and Tara are going to play for us, or Billy's going to play for us now. And let's just reflect on some of these statements of who we are in Christ. And then Chris is going to pop up and, uh, and lead us through communion in just a little bit. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.